Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Choose Your Religion. My name is Jonathan Chan. I'm so glad that you can join us today as we embark on Hinduism. Before we begin, let's start off with a video clip and we'll be right back. The game is afoot. Mm. I smell fear mixed with curry. Uh-oh. Ah! You got me, but I shall be reincarnated. Ha-ha! <sighs> you can't kill a Hindu! Ah! Help me, Jesus! Well, I hope you enjoyed the video clip. That's right, it's from The Simpsons with our dear friend Abu, who got shot in the groin, I guess, and he died. But like he said, you cannot kill a Hindu because he got reincarnated as a rabbit and then suddenly got stuck in a bear trap. Oh well, karma. So that's what we're going to be talking about. Hinduism and reincarnation is one of those ideas of Hinduism which we will explore. But before we do that and before we embark in that, let's set out an outline. Because just like what we did last week with Buddhism, we need an outline to guide us on how to make this discussion or this talk that I'm going to give it to you relevant. Because I know that you're very blessed with technology and all you have to do is just Tap in Hinduism on the Google search and then boom, you have like Wikipedia, you have history.com, etc, etc. And so how do you make this type of thing worthwhile? How do you make this series of discussing religions worthwhile? Well, I think how it makes it worthwhile is to have an outline of questions that you and I want to answer. In fact, how religion, all the questions that religion wants to answer. And what are those? Well, whenever we look at religion, we have to ask these questions first. What does the religion say that could explain what is happening in the world today? In other words, the world has full of problems, right? Lots of problems, chaos, evil, whatever. How does the religion explain all these problems that are happening in the world today? Second, why is it happening? According to the religion that we're studying, why is all this happening? Why are there suffering? So how does this religion, today is Hinduism, how does Hinduism explain why we have suffering in this world? And next is, what is the existential metaphysical narrative? In other words, is there a story, a grand story for humanity? Is there a grand story for myself individually? Is there an end goal in mind? Is there a finishing line? And what is it? Is there something that I need to strive for? Is my life already predetermined that there's a pattern and there's that, that there's a plan for me and that I'm just living out that plan even though I don't have any clue what it is? That's what I mean by the metaphysical narrative. And how do we get there if there is an end goal in mind? Because some religions would say, yes, there is an end goal. There is a place that you and I should be going and headed towards. So how does this religion, religion tell us on how to get there. How do we get there in the present? What practices are we supposed to do? What religiosity are we supposed to embark on? What rituals, what type of lifestyle are we supposed to take on in order to get to that end goal? And next is, is there life after death according to this religion? Because some religions say, no, you would just go poof and that's it. But some religions would say, no, you would spend eternal damnation if you don't do this. And there's some religions that say there is, but it's completely different. 
And so what does Hinduism today, Hinduism say about life after death? Because Hinduism says there is life after death. And lastly, because we are in a Christian context, and hopefully that uh, my hope anyway in this Christian context is that I'm a Christian. Personally, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. How does Hinduism inform my faith in Jesus? And if you're a Christian out there, how does knowing Hinduism inform your faith in Jesus? We're not here to compare which religion is better, what is right and what is wrong, which religion has the right way of going, getting to whatever place they want to get into. It's more about, okay, you believe in Christianity or you believe in Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, whatever religion you believe in. How does knowing Hinduism inform your faith in whatever you believe in? And for myself, and if you're a Christian out there, how does Hinduism inform my faith in Jesus? Because that's important as well. Now, Dan and I will always begin with a brief discussion of the origins of each religion because, hey, let's start off with that. But really briefly, because like I said in the beginning, we know that you have the blessedness of technology where you could type in the religion on the Google search bar and then boom, You'll get everything from Wikipedia to history.com to even CNN. So we know that, but we also want to just harvest a few of the highlights that we've researched just so that we can kick it off to ex go through all the questions that we listed. And so we'll go through some of the origins, but mainly to harvest the certain things that we feel are relevant to answer the questions that we've listed. We will then jump into those questions, starting with what the hell is going on in the world today? And then we'll tackle the question about how does that inform my Christian faith? All right? Okay, let's begin. Hinduism. Hinduism is an interesting one. Hinduisms as a religion should actually not be called as a religion. In fact, it's a plural of, it's a collection of religions. Because Hinduism, there has there's no founder. There's no founder, so therefore the origins are kind of like, well, namely, you don't even know when it was founded. Some of the scholars said it was it's around 2300 BC and 1500 BC, which makes it the oldest religion in the world. And the origin of where it started, some scholars say it's near the Indus Valley, near modern Pakistan. Hinduism, therefore, is very unique that it's not just a single religion, like I said, but a collection of religions, which means it's a collection of traditions, collections of cultures, cultural influences, a collection of philosophies, a collection of traditions, folklore, superstitions, and other religious influences. And it could be religious influences from the ancient Near East all the way to the religions in Africa. You name it, it could be a synthesis of all that. Now, the most famous modern Hindu that you and I probably are familiar with is Mahatma Gandhi. And why is he important? Well, if you've done your history and you've done your research, if you studied uh, high school history, you know that Mahatma Gandhi led a Indian rebellion against the British colonialism. And after when he did that, and after India declared um, independence in about 1947 or 1948, 
India was split into two. One side is Indian, the other side is Pakistan. India's official religion was and became Hinduism. And so Hinduism was pretty much predominant in India. And starting in the 1960s, much of the Hindus, many of the Hindus, actually migrated to North America and Britain. And for those of you who live here in our beautiful city of Vancouver, British Columbia, you know that due to, with such a multicultural and diverse communities that we have, Hindus are quite noticeable as well. And they are free to practice their religion and we benefit from a lot of their cultural festivities and traditions and of course, vegetarian food. Hinduism embraces many religious ideas. And for this reason, it's sometimes referred to as just the way of life. Uh, if you have a collection of religions and you cannot pinpoint doctrines or anything like that, and there's no substantial authority, it's more or less like a national identity as opposed to a religion. And so if you do that, it means it's kind of like the way of life. You're a Hindu. Okay. I know how you live and how do you behave and how do you approach life? So it's more like a way of life as opposed to Christianity, for instance, where there is authority, there is a central authority, there's an authority figure that we follow, who we follow, and uh, there's denominations, right? Hinduism does not have that. All right. One of the key thoughts that I picked up when I was doing my research of Hinduism is the idea of the Atman, the soul, because this is the first time I've encountered it among the Indian religions. As you know, we have already explored, um, explored Buddhism and Buddhism does not believe in the soul or the spirit of a person. There's no essence of that. Hinduism, which Buddhism came out of, does believe that there's an existence of an Atman, a soul. So I thought that was really interesting because where this soul goes is where, and where this soul embarks on or indwells in, that's where the next life of that soul lives on. So this soul is indestructible. This soul continues on. There's no dissipation like Buddhism would say. This soul continues on living. And hence Abu said that, hey, hey, you cannot kill a Hindu. He's right because the soul is indestructible. So I thought that was very interesting. And another one that I found interesting was how it's really closely related to Buddhism. Well, of course, because Buddhism came out of Hinduism. Hinduism believes in two things similar to Buddhism. Number one is karma. And for many of you, you know that karma is basically you reap what you sow. So whatever you do in this life will affect your you in the next life. And so all your actions your decisions and everything, whatnot, whether it's good or bad or evil or ethical or unethical or moral or immoral, all those actions will have consequences, whether they're good or bad in the next life. Also, Hinduism, like Buddhism, also believes in the whole idea of a life cycle of samsara. Now, the life cycle is birth, life, death, rebirth, life, death. And of course, Buddha, where Buddhism and Hinduism differ in terms of the samsara is what happens after death, which we will go into in Hinduism. But again, they still see samsara as this life cycle. And like Buddhism, Hinduism sees the samsara as a not a good thing. Actually, it sees it just similar to Buddhism as suffering. This whole idea of this ongoing cycle is suffering. Samsara is suffering because what they see is that 
much of humanity has always made the wrong decisions, have always made bad mistakes. And therefore, the samsara is just basically to reap what you have sown and continue to live through that. And that is, some, and that is suffering. All right, let's move on. So another highlight that I found that, that differed from Buddhism, that Hinduism has, is the idea of deities, gods. Buddhism does not believe in any god, no existence of any deities. Whereas Hinduism, because of its synthesis of various religions and cultures and traditions and superstitions, Hinduism believes that there is a god and many gods and goddesses underneath. So the ultimate god is Brahma. And Brahma is the one who created the world and created all living things. So you could say that Brahma is like the equivalent of the ultimate supreme god of other religions like Islam and Christianity, where there's Yahweh in Judaism, God in Christianity, God of, the, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Allah in uh, Islam. So for Hinduism, Brahma is the one. And the rest, like Vishnu, uh, Devi, and Lakshmi, and Saraswati, and Krishna, those gods have various, how you say, manifestations of Brahma, the various functions of Brahma, the various manifestations, such as compassion, such as uh, the creation of Dharma, which we will get into, uh, the protection of the universe. So the various manifestations or functions of Brahma comes in the form of goddesses and gods like Vishnu uh, that I mentioned, Devi, and Krishna. For example, Krishna, the god of compassion and tenderness and love. That's an element of Brahma. And Lakshmi, the goddess of wealth and purity. That's another element and manifestation of Brahma. So let's dive into the questions, shall we? So what is wrong with the world today? What is going on? Why is there so much suffering and problems in this world according to Hinduism? Hinduism has two, again, two significant common beliefs with Buddhism. And to explain all this, all these problems that are happening in the world, it is due to karma and samsara. Karma, because a lot of people are just making bad mistakes and bad decisions, and therefore they're suffering the consequences for it. And so what's wrong with the world today? It's basically humanity. Humanity's stupidity and their pride and their selfishness. And that's what's wrong with the world today. It's all humanity's fault. Not Brahma, not any of the gods or goddesses. It's all humanity's fault because humanity screwed up and made consistently wrong and poor decisions and they're suffering the consequences for it. And why is it, why is it continuing? Why are we seeing all this suffering build up and build up all the time? Well, Hinduism says basically it's samsara. It's because of this vicious life cycle that we have. It's how, to them, samsara is this, it's just nature. It's this natural progression of life, death, life, death. And so therefore, for them, for Hinduism, the reason why it's just continuing on, there's no solution for it, it's because of samsara. And why it's happening, what's the reason behind all these problems that we have is because of humanity's dumb decisions. And so, there needs to be liberation from it. There needs to be a way out. There needs to be somehow a way to get out uh, and be liberated from this vicious cycle of samsara. And so where Buddhism has a solution, where we explored last time, Hinduism also has a solution. And so let's go on to the four things that Hinduism believes 
and that you and I, that Hinduism tells us on how you and I should pursue or what should pursue or my apologies or what things are we to pursue in our lives. There you go. So there are four and these four are summed up with one word called Peru Shaktis. And these four are Dharma, Artha, Kama, and Moksha. Again, Dharma, Artha, Kama, and Moksha. Dharma is defined as righteous and ethical living. Dharma includes behaviors that make life and universe possible. In other words, Hinduism believes that Dharma is the way of life, of good life, the order of life, and how things are ordered and how things come to be. In other words, it's the opposite of chaos, basically. Dharma and chaos. So you have Dharma and chaos. What Hinduism wants us to do and recommend us to do is follow Dharma and follow that order of life, which includes duties, uh, laws that we need to follow, conduct, virtues, and the right way of living, quote unquote, because that is open to interpretation because as you, as I mentioned as, as well in the beginning, Hinduism is a synthesis of religions. So that is an open to interpretation for however you see the right way of living is. And so again, Dharma is opposite of chaos. It's loosely defined and uh, loosely um, interpreted in the way of the right way of living. But it's more like you could say, if I could simplify it, it's like a law-abiding citizen that just does things right and does not disobey laws, that knows what kind of conduct he or she needs to do and what virtues that they need to pursue. And that's still open to interpretation. Okay, next, Artha. Artha is the pursuit of wealth which is, includes livelihood, includes your career, and financial well-being. In some uh, schools of text, they call it financial security, but I think that's an oxymoron like jumbo shrimp. I don't think there is financial security. It's as bad as saying Microsoft works. So I would say financial well-being instead of financial security. That's my interpretation of this. And this could be an accumulation of whatever, whatever means of life that a person may see as necessities. And of course, this should not contradict with Dharma. So even though there, it, Hinduism says that it's good to accumulate wealth and health and financial security or financial well-being, Hinduism also says that ah, you still have a roadmap or a compass to guide you that you cannot contradict your dharma because uh, for example you cannot steal or you cannot exploit someone just to get your wealth and accumulate wealth and well-being you cannot sacrifice somebody else else uh, you cannot sacrifice somebody else's livelihood all right now next one is kama which is very interesting because kama is defined as desire and that desire is actually a more of a sexual one a passion one a longing for pleasure to uh, fulfill one's own pleasure senses which is really interesting because i'm coming from a very traditional christian world i was born and raised in a traditional christian setting this is something that we never talk about that hinduism is free to talk about and that's something whether it's wrong to be attracted to or not, I think this is great, actually. I think that finally there's a religion that could navigate 
human humanity's sexuality and comma it struck me the most and if you want to read more about comma you can uh, <laughs> actually it just occurred to me that there is a thing called comma satra but a, but besides the point you could read more on that but i'm glad that there is a religion that tries to navigate and sees sexuality sexual desire and passion as a good thing and i don't know if christianity actually does a good job on that but hey hinduism does and kama is considered as an essential and a healthy goal of human life and of course again hinduism gives you a caveat you have to make sure that dharma is not compromised that your ethical your moral righteous living is not compromised due to your sexual desires and again like the like hinduism it's because of its synergy because of its synthesis of multiple religions that right way of living that ethical living is really up for interpretation as to where you are uh, for a canadian that might be different than american an american may be different from a mexican a mexican may be different from a japanese korean you know what i mean so it's an open to interpretation which is a good thing and may not be a good thing it's up to you all right lastly moksha moksha is the complete liberation the end goal you know remember the narrative our meta narrative our of an individual and humanity this is where we should be headed if we follow dharma well enough then we would be liberated from samsara the birth rebirth cycle and that whatever the karma we have accumulated because we follow dharma the karma will be continually improved for us and that once we die and we have and we we obtain moksha we will not be in this reincarnation state we will finally reunite our atman our soul will be reunited with the spirit brahma so if you remember last time when we looked at buddhism i gave you an example of deep space nine's one of deep space nine's characters named odo odo is a shape changer and like i said buddhism came out of hinduism and one of the schools of thought of buddhism borrowed the idea of uniting one spirit into a pool of spirits if you remember well that idea is from hinduism where hinduism believes that when you die and you achieve moksha your soul your atman is united with brahman the spirit brahman now some schools of thought say that well it's not physically united you could be just in a relationship with brahma you're not merged into brahma and then some schools of thought says it's it's actually you could happen today with a it's a mentality thing it's a consciousness thing but majority of hindus uh, that i've spoken to and that i've uh, that i've done my research on is that the atman does merge and gets absorbed by brahma when you reach moksha and that is the ultimate goal so how do we get there to sum up how do we get there through dharma dharma is the right way of living the ethical living and the righteous way of living and where does one find a guide to do this well there's various temples that you can go to there's rituals that you could partake there are various texts that you can study from various gurus and sages who've written many books about it in order to guide us on this and the ethical living there are some general consensus of for what rules to follow like thou shall not murder it's quite obvious on that one 
So there are some general rules and general ethical compasses that you could follow. There's also worship sites. Um, I'm sure that many of you, especially in Vancouver, we've seen many worship sites and cultural festivities that we can experience and can uh, participate in. And of course, there's different rituals that we could use. And uh, for many of us Westerners, I'm sure you are familiar with this practice, yoga. Where yoga is another one of those that we can of part of Dharma. Yoga is part of Dharma, where yoga gives us this um, cleansing of the mind, this tranquility, this peace, this unity, the, uh, the fellowship with Brahma. That's what yoga is all about. And so yoga is one of those ways, one of Dharma's methods of achieving moksha. But it's not only, it's not the only way though, right? It has a lot to do with living out. So it's living, ethical living, living righteously. So now that we've explored all those questions, finally, the last question is for, uh, for our purposes today is, is there life after death? And for Hinduism, yes, because Atman is indestructible, but it's not, it's still, it's not that it dies and uh, no, it just continues to live on. And whether you reach moksha or not, that will determine where you end up. So Abu, he turned into a rabbit. And so therefore, I think that is due to his karma. And that's why he turned into a rabbit rather than a human being. And then he got caught in a bear trap. But for most Hindus, the goal is to reach moksha, to have your Atman unite or be absorbed by the spirit god of Brahma. And so, yes, there is life after death. That life is united with Brahma. All right. So now that we've explored Hinduism and how, excuse me, Hinduism responds to our questions, how does Hinduism inform my faith in Jesus? Pardon me. How does the study of Hinduism and knowing those little tidbits of information inform my faith in Jesus. Well, personally, I thought that I found the whole idea of Purusharthas interesting. Purusharthas, the four, four goals, the Dharma, the Artha, the Kama, and the Moksha. And I already alluded to that. Number one, Dharma. See, as a Christian, we are told, or I am told, that I am to follow and obey Jesus, to live a life that imitates Jesus's life, to live uh, it's not just in an ethical way. It's not just a moral way. It's more. It's that and more, right? To live sacrificially, to love my neighbors sacrificially. Now, the reason why Hinduism says that you need to follow Dharma is because it's a universal thing. It's a universal goal because Dharma is just the opposite of chaos. So follow Dharma. The whole reason why you follow Dharma is because you don't want anything to be chaotic. And this is how creation operates is Dharma. And so that's why just follow Dharma. That's the reason. Is that what Jesus said about following him is that we have to, we, the reason why we follow him is to make sure that the world goes round and keeps on ticking. Or is there more to it? Because uh, there should be, it, there should be some differentiation. So what does Jesus say? What is our goal? What is the reason for us to follow Jesus? And so that is a question for yourself, who is a Christian, who may be a Christian, and myself as well. What is the reason? Is it 
merely to make sure things go around? Is it to make sure that I feel good about myself and have good self-esteem? Is it just to, so that I could be a law-abiding citizen? Or is it something spiritual like something to avoid hell? Is there such a thing? Or is there something more? Okay, Arthur. Arthur is, is another interesting one because its objective is to the pursuit of wealth and wealth, health, and livelihood. And so how does a Christian navigate that? Because I don't know about you, but I've been raised in a Christian uh, uh, setting and in Christian teachings where all three are naturally not that good. And the wealth and health and, and financial well-being is not something that we need to, we should pursue because if we do, it's our, it's sin. It's, it's, if we put it ahead of God, it's sin. So how should we as Christians how should I, as a Christian, see health, wealth, and financial well-being? Because I'm sure it's good, but how should a Christian see it then? If it's not our goal, like Hinduism says, then what is a Christian's goal with regards to wealth and health and financial security? Next, comma. I already talked about this. I think that uh, for me personally, I think Christianity, my Christian faith anyway, needs to be uh, informed a bit more about human sexuality. Uh, I think uh, uh, we haven't done enough in terms of literature and writings and biblical, expo uh, biblical propositions on how to navigate through our human sexuality because I believe that sexuality is a good thing. I think it is good to have sexual pleasure. I think it's good to fulfill our sexual passions. And, but how does one do it within a Christian context? How do we do it in a holy and pleasing way to God? That it's not sinful, basically. Because for Hinduism, they gave, us a, they gave each, one, each Hindu a caveat, right? That you can fulfill your karma, go for it, it's healthy, but you cannot sacrifice dharma. Do we have something like that? I don't know. I'm sure we do. And if you know, let me know. Because I think that's something that we need to talk about as well. And we might have even, and you know, feel free to talk about it in your small groups and or whoever you chat with. Moksha. Moksha is a liberation from sorrow, suffering, and samsara. For Hinduism, like Buddhism, suffering is samsara, the ongoing cycle of life. How does a Christian see life in all its faults desires and fallenness. Should a Christian actually have this escapist mentality of saying that, hey, this world is pathetic, this world is in chaos, I'm leaving, I can't wait to get out of here. Or should a Christian see this world as good and that there is some good in it and the good is coming out, that more good is coming out. So how does Hinduism inform my Christian faith? Well, how does Hinduism inform me of how I should see the world? Should I see this world the same way as Hinduism, that we need to get out of it, we need to get out of samsara? Or should I see this world differently, that a Christian should see this world as a place where I should be, a place that I can call home, that a place that is my permanent home, my eternal home, where it is good in that the good is coming out because of what Jesus has done through his death and resurrection. All right, that is enough from me. I will leave it all with you and your groups or your friends to discuss. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to chime me or connect with me through our website. 
And uh, but till next time, have a blessed week, and we will go on and explore another religion when we meet again. Thank you.